Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles, and today we will be talking about meat science. Dr. Laida Garcia shares with us about growing up in Texas, her academic background, and her current work in the College of Food, Agric Agricultural, and Environmental Science at OSU. Let me introduce our guest. Dr. Laida Garcia earned her associates from Clarendon College, her bachelor's in animal science from Texas Tech University, her master's in animal science and meat science from West Texas A&M University, and her PhD in meat science from Texas A&M College Station. She completed postdoctoral research at Texas Tech University. Dr. Garcia grew up in Hepburnville, Texas, This South Texas town of approximately 4,600 people has an agricultural core where many are very proud of their Southern Texas culture. Dr. Garcia's interest in animal science came from her father, Modesto Garcia, a Texas cowboy who raised commercial cattle, meat goats, and had working horses. Welcome to this podcast today, Thank Dr. You. Garcia. Uh, so I just read part of your biography, but can you tell us a little bit more about life in Texas? Well, um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. My life in Texas, actually, you know, in South Texas, and, you know, for those who have not experienced South Texas, it, it's a different world. You know, Texas is so broad, it's so big. Mm -hmm. But um, with in South Texas, just growing up, we had more of the... It, it, it was a combination of the Mexican culture with an American culture type mm -hmm. style just blended. And um, this is where the Mexican-American or the Tejano kind of thing, you know, comes in. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, was, uh, I was around a lot of Spanish. My parents spoke mm -hmm. Spanish. My mother was bilingual. My father primarily spoke English. But with time, I guess, with myself and my sister then my nephews, he began to speak more English. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, to me, it's a beautiful culture. One, you know, one would not appreciate it until they actually left. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I've, I've been gone from my hometown since uh, August of 1998, you know. Mm -hmm. And there were many, many things that I learned that I didn't realize that I'd come to appreciate later. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I grew up in uh, a border town, Matamoros. Uh, is uh, you know, border with South Texas. Um, And I'm curious, how are you keeping your Tejana identity alive here in Ohio? In cold Ohio, today is minus one degree. Yeah, it's negative one. You know, how do I keep my identity? Well, one thing is um, I still hold on to my foundation, and that is to be proud of who you are and where you come from. And um, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, I often – I'm – I'm caught speaking the Spanglish, you know, as we as we do in South Texas. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, it's it's um oh, how do I say this? I'm not sure how truly I maintain my identity, but I do. I'm mm -hmm. just being me, I guess. Absolutely. Not not uh, not forgetting where I come from. Mm -hmm. Do you speak Spanish a lot still? Or? Well, it's a little different here in Ohio. Yeah. You know, it's not as common as it was in Texas. But, you know, I do have some great friends, some Latino friends, you mm -hmm. know, Puerto Rican, Cuban, mm -hmm. 
you name it, from Mexico. Yeah. And so when we get together, we get to, you know, we get to lash out and just speak freely. And again, I get to speak the Spanglish as well. And uh, yes, of course. It's, it's nice. Great, great. Um, can you tell me more about um, your journey in academia? Well, goodness. I, you know, I, I went through the typical public school system in my hometown, you know, K through 12. Mm-hmm. Then I uh, immediately, you know, we, I graduated in May, and in August I began my college journey. And mm-hmm. that, it, uh, all in all, it was 11 years from mm-hmm. my associates all the way to my Ph.D., and but then on top of my PhD, I went ahead and did a one-year postdoc postdoctoral mm-hmm. um, year, and that was more of a of a training to get me, to prepare me to become a professor. Mm-hmm. And so, I can say that uh, I moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. I chose to move. I I just could not get enough of just learning more and more. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is that I didn't want to stay in one area. I wanted to continue to grow, but learn different philosophies mm-hmm. of, of different regions in Texas. Even mm-hmm. though all my schooling's in Texas, what I learned was so Very different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it, and what the key thing or the key difference between all, all schools was what resources they had close by. Mm. And so one school may have emphasized on one thing and another school may have emphasized on another, all based on resources and what the needs were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, went to, I did my graduate work in Arkansas and they had, the University of Arkansas had a big poultry uh, science, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, program because of um, Tyson chicken. Tyson they, foods, right. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm curious um, because your journey is a little bit similar to mine. I also have an associate's degree and all the way through a PhD. Um, do you think that's unique? Do you think that's um, part of maybe uh, the story of I, I recently read an article about a woman that the title I think was from from community college to PhD. Um, is that something um, that it's uh, the same story for many maybe minority um, uh, uh, groups, uh, maybe specifically Latino? Do you have you seen that? Um, do you think that's uh, common or? Well, you know it's. For a a young Hispanic female to acquire a PhD, that's that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. For some reason, um, with the Latinos, we we are fewer in numbers acquiring a PhD, men and women. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the way that I was able to do it was just strong encouragement and support from my parents and my sister, who's mm-hmm. who's also educated as well. Mm-hmm. But it's you know even today we still see that. The Latinos are we're we're behind mm-hmm. in in education, and that's why you know it's, it's it's very critical that we continue with the educational piece, and we don't stop at the high school, we don't stop at within associates, mm-hmm. we continue. You know, one one interesting fact, and and that I'd like to share is often when I visit with students and their families, you mm-hmm. know, and despite of of ethnicity, mm-hmm. is. There is a trend here, and and the trend was, you know, back from the 50s to the, the 70s, in order to have a good-paying job, all we needed was a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Imagine that today. Mm-hmm. Then the 80s came about, and then, you know, businesses and, and education said, wait a minute, the high school diploma is not good enough. Mm-hmm. We need more education. And so depending on the job, they dropped that high school diploma and demanded more of an associate's or a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Then the 90s came about, and they said, we, we need more education for a good-paying job, you mm-hmm. know. 
And so they dropped the associate's degree and said, we need a minimum of a bachelor's or a master's. Mm -hmm. And now we're at the time of the millennium. Mm -hmm. So, and again, depending on the job, a bachelor's, master's, or a PhD is required. So we're looking at an additional four to eight years of of school, higher education to the public school system, you know, our, our public school journey. And so the moral of the story is that we can't afford not to get an education mm-hmm. because, you know, the demands are going to increase. And with people like me and my colleagues who are continuously doing research, we're finding new things and new things that what our parents were taught, you know, at the high school level was we were more advanced when we were in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Imagine our kids and imagine, you know, our future in about 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. We're going to be outdated. The education that we were taught in the public school system is going to be outdated. Absolutely. So, and that's and that's key. And in 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 order for us to advance as Latinos, you know, with with our family generations, we need that educational piece. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me. My I can't do um, my daughter's high school math. I don't. Oh I do. no. <laughs> Some of that stuff. More is. advanced. Exactly my point. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, even middle school, it's very different than, and uh, and obviously my schooling was in in Mexico, so that's also another piece that is completely different, right? Um, uh, you you talk about um, uh, sort of the need, this education. You know, we need to advance. We need to get um, to maybe do more schooling beyond the bachelor's degree, uh, and and depending on the career choice, even. Um, uh, going into a PhD program. Uh, were you involved in any mentoring programs at any stage of your academic career that sort of guided you through through this journey? Um, who was um, encouraging you uh, throughout every step that you took? So I, I, I would be wrong if I didn't mention my parents first. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the foundation came from. And my parents were, you know, as I mentioned before, my father had a third grade level education. My mother had a master's. I watched both of them kill themselves mm-hmm. for the job, for you know, for us, for my sister and myself. But I saw it differently. Mm-hmm. And so my parents were always about getting that higher education, that degree first. Then when I advanced through my associates and then my bachelor's and master's, I was very, very blessed to have people in my life, even at the college levels, who took me under their wing and guided me. And, you know, it had nothing to do with Latinos. Mm-hmm. It was just people helping people. It were professors helping students. And now that I'm a professor, I can tell you that I see students, and but just by the way they look at, at, at someone, you know, their facial expressions, yeah. how they're dressed, their body language tells me how confident, how... In, in intimidating or how lost or whatever it is. And I understand now when, when I was in their shoes mm. that the professors at the time um, viewed us the same. Mm. And so so I've had a mentorship since the beginning of, of my lifetime. And now, you know, here I am as an assistant professor at Ohio State, and I'm giving back. And that's – and, and um, and you know, and even today, I, I still continue to be mentored by my colleagues, you know, Absolutely. by my friends who are who have already been there, done that, that I'll call up and say, hey, what do you think about this? And but that's just I mean, to me, that's so key mm-hmm. in life. In order to make this life go round, we need to help each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> Aside from your love for science, which 
um, I also would like for you to tell me a little bit more about that. But uh, I read about your passion, which we're discussing now, um, for education and helping youth and the field of agricultural specifically, because that's your area. Can you tell me um, about what you've done um, here in te- what you're doing here in, te- in uh, Ohio and what you did in Texas uh, related to sort of helping youth and education? Well, you know, um, part of my responsibilities here at um, Ohio State University is 70% of it is teaching, mm-hmm. 30% is extension and outreach. So that means that I, I, I work with producers, you know, beef producers or, or swine producers or lamb producers, and actually try to help them connect the dots. So, so for example, my first year here at Ohio State, I was called to give a presentation up in the northwest corner of Ohio Mm -hmm. to several beef producers. And we're talking about average age may have been 60. So I speak to them about high-quality beef, you know, what can we do and what does this mean and what do discounts do and so forth. Well, then I I was asked if I would be willing to fabricate a, a side of a beef carcass, break it down into its primal cuts, it's subprimal cuts, and then the retail cuts, and then talk about economic value, you know, talk about the grading system in the United States and what it means. Because a, a lot of the time, our producers aren't able to see what they produce. Once they sell the animals or livestock, that's where it ends. Mm-hmm. So being able to connect the dots from the time that that calf hits the ground or it's born to the time that it hits our plate, there's still a big gap. Yeah. And so with that being said, not only do I work with producers, but I also get to work with the youth. That's my favorite part of, mm-hmm. of my job is working with our youth, our future. Mm-hmm. And so during summers, I do a lot of what we call carcass shows. So I go out and I will judge their carcasses. So mm-hmm. our students who are in FFA mm-hmm. or um, 4-H, they will raise animals for, for as um, projects. Mm-hmm. They'll show them at their county fairs. And some of our counties in Ohio will have a carcass piece, a carcass show. And that's where I come in and I get to evaluate. And then I rank them from best to not so, not so good. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm there, I get to visit with the students one-on-one. And I have this habit, you know, good, like again, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> I have this habit of calling all the students up front, getting them away from their parents because the young ones are really attached, you know, which makes it's Mm -hmm. understandable. But I will bring them to the front and I'll push the parents to the back and then I speak to the students and I'll ask them, why are you here? Mm -hmm. Why did you send your animal here for me to evaluate, you know? And then I relate everything to the time that they're feeding, the way they handle the animals, Mm -hmm. all the way to the time that the animal is harvested Mm -hmm. to try to connect. And then I tend to ask them, how many of you love this part of agriculture? And you'll be surprised at how many of them raise their hands. And that's when I start talking to them about higher education. Mm-hmm. And so I'll often, I'll always ask the students, and because to me, everybody's a student. Mm-hmm. I will ask them, what is it that you're good at? And whatever that is, perfect it. Mm-hmm. It's, we're, we're not in those times anymore where we just want to be doctors and mm-hmm. lawyers and teachers. It's so diverse today that something very minute that you may think will n- that there's that there's a, a career doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised on what does exist out there, and that's and that's my message to everybody. Whatever it is that you're you're good at, perfect it. That's what you want to study, because I'll tell you, 
I'm doing exactly what I love. This isn't a job for me, you know, and, and I get paid for it, so it's even better. Even better. <laughs> How do you connect um, the experience of growing up, seeing your, your dad raising cattle, uh, all the way to what you're doing now? How is that connected? How is that informed by those experiences? Well, my father, I'll tell you, was a very tough teacher. He was. He was a very tough teacher, tough educator, and he always he would always tell me, you need to think before you do something. Think about what this action that you're about to do and what it's going to cause mm-hmm. from start to finish. Don't do it as you're – don't think as you're doing the action. Just, th- you know, prepare. So it's what we would call the common sense approach, okay? Even though I despised it as a kid, I used to get so agitated when he would just look at me and say, you know, what are you doing? I mean, think before you do these things. And then my mother, who is the educator, you know, she was a public school teacher. Um, she also taught GED at night. Mm-hmm. She taught the amnesty program with mm-hmm. uh, Laredo Community College for the migrant workers who wanted to become U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. So I, my job was to go out and help her at night from 6.30 to 10 p.m. So my mother at one point held down three jobs with a master's degree. I mean, mm-hmm. how does that work? But that's part of a small town thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was, she was able to teach me how to reach my audience. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't appreciate it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to go home and do my kid thing, you know. And I was about, I want to say I was about 13 when I started to help her with, with the migrant workers coming from Mexico. Mm-hmm. So my point with explaining about my parents is, I realized that my love for agriculture, because I loved it, mm. but my love for teaching, opening doors for people, they merged. They merged. Mm-hmm. And, that's where, and that's where I am where I am today. Again, not even knowing what I was getting into, but everything happens for a reason. And to this day, I mean, my, my mother is now 79 years old. Mm-hmm. She's a pistol. But <laughs> I will still ask her questions. Mom, what do you think about this? And she still gives me advice. She says, well, why don't you try this? When my father was alive, I would ask him when I would be at the packing plants, you know, in Texas, I would ask him certain questions and he would say, well, what do you think about this? I mean, so the two of them, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't say it enough. Yeah. They are the prime reason I am where I am. Now, I, I don't know if I'll ever be as good as they were, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's, that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Great, great. <clears throat> what do you recommend? You you say you talk um, a lot with students, especially in the, in the summer when you're um, uh, at the fairs. I mm-hmm. imagine, right? Um, <clears throat> and what do you recommend uh, students considering or um, uh, you know attending sort of these shows? How do you reach students um, in in helping them think about? having this as a as a career in higher ed for example agriculture any any facet of it any area of it you know with agriculture you know one thing that i i do have to share is that there is a lot of science technology engineering and mathematics in agriculture today that's what we refer to as stem in the public school systems Mm -hmm. you know and in at the university level i say that you know if they're interested they need to find that mentor, that advisor, that teacher, and, and start asking the questions. Um, if it's something that they're just intrigued, I would say try it, because we won't know exactly where what we want until we start trying things. And we're going to fail. That's one thing that I, that I need 
I need to mention is that it's okay if it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out and we move on. If their teacher is not familiar with whatever aspect that they're, they're asking about in agriculture, they need to go to someone else. Mm-hmm. Find someone who does know. And, for example, you know, with Ohio State University and a lot of the universities in the United States, each state has an, what we call an extension program. Mm-hmm. Find, that, find a contact from the university if, if need be. And start asking the questions. You know, in, in, in animal science, we have extension uh, extensionists who are involved in beef cattle, in swine, in lambs, or what we call ruminants and small ruminants. We have equine. I'm, I'm, I'm considered the meat state extension specialist for Ohio. Mm. So I would be more on the meat science side. Mm-hmm. But if there's anything that, that our students would need to know and our parents – that just because their teachers or counselors or principals may not know about them, don't get dissuaded to go mm-hmm. somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, all you have to do is find the right person, find the right people who know of that topic or that area, and start asking the questions. Call me. You know, I, I don't know much about anything but meat science and animal science, but we can surely get you in the right direction because – this is their lives, not mm-hmm. ours. Mm-hmm. We, you know, everybody's here on a mission is what I usually say. And we just need to make sure we perfect their, their strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. <clears throat> Can you tell us a little bit more about meat science in particular? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, meat science is a very unique area. You know, it's not, it's not as common as, you know, engineering or, mm-hmm. you know, the medical field. But meat science basically involves... Everything that that live animal goes through during its um, during its duration, mm-hmm. um, from from nutrition, from breed, genetics, stress, environment, you name it, all that will have an effect on the meat products. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's about the meat product. So what we talk about is what I what I normally talk about in my class or classes would be the history of the meat industry mm-hmm. in the United States, and it's a phenomenal history. Inspection, where we were then, where we are today, where we're headed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at food safety, food microbiology. That's very important. Very, it's very critical in my world. Understanding how not to cross-contaminate. Understanding mm-hmm. that each species have certain bacteria that we need to um, be aware of. The other thing would be um, quality assurance or, or quality characteristics, and that's where the evaluation piece comes in. Uh, and also, you know, with beef flavor, um, flavor, juiciness, and tenderness, how all that has has a, an effect on the economic value. Mm-hmm. Why does one cost twelve ninety nine a pound versus the other who's six ninety nine a pound? What's the big difference? And then also the species, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. We're looking at also natural, organic, conventional. Mm-hmm. We're looking at different packages out there, you know, because a packaging system will have may can play a role in some things um vegan versus vegetarian versus you know more of a conventional diet it's it's an array of things but at the same time there's also science it's that biochemistry Mm -hmm. because you know every time that we get a muscle cramp what's happening Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of science involved Mm -hmm. then you have the muscle and then you have meat 
At what point does does muscle become meat? Mm-hmm. Oh, to me, it's phenomenal. I mean, this is something that I could talk about all day. <laughs> um, and then at the same time, you know, we also offer extracurricular activities. Um, one is referred to as meat judging, mm-hmm. and I and I'm the coordinator of the meat judging program in our in our at Ohio State. And this is what I like to call on the job training. Mm-hmm. We teach the students how to evaluate. We teach them how to rank cuts of meat or carcasses from best to worst or best to not so good. And then they have to justify why. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of doing it, you know, because anybody can place. Mm-hmm. Now you have to relay your thoughts, your reasoning on paper. And how well you, you explain it, how well you communicate is key. But, again, we do all this in the form of competition. But reality is it's on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. So meat science to me is just a very, very unique but phenomenal area because at the end of the day, again, it's about the meat products. Making sure, oh, and then we also have product development, you know, making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, we have to – be able to fulfill every need out there. Mm. So someone who may earn about $300,000 a year is going to demand one thing. Someone who may earn roughly, let's say, 50000 you know, their needs are going to be different. Mm. And then you have the ethnic backgrounds to account for. Then you have generational differences. Oh, it's a big, it's a big puzzle. Do you ever get on this competitions? Do you ever get to judge taste? No, n- not not in this one. No, no, because a lot of our, our competitions take place in true packing plants. Mm-hmm. So we have to abide. Again, it goes back to food safety. Mm-hmm. We we are not able to touch things. We have to go with a proper attire, mm-hmm. you know, no gum. And, but, again, we um, food safety is key. So, no, we, we don't get to do that. Now, <laughs> in my classes, um, I will cook certain mm-hmm. cuts of meat, beef and pork, and sometimes, you know, um, lamb if, if if need be. And I will do what we call a sensory taste panel. Mm. So we'll match the right cut with the right cookery method. And then mm. we'll talk about why it made such a difference using a George Foreman versus roasting or smoking, mm. you know, and in our students, you know, the majority of my students in my classes, they come in with this this mindset of I have no idea what this class is about. It sounded interesting. Yeah. I don't know. But when they leave, they are so blown away, and they say, this is this is way more than I thought it was. Great. Because it all applies. Yeah. Do you get to study disease, too, with the, uh, maybe disease-causing um, uh, via meat, I don't know, uh, handle or consumption or? Well, with... With diseases, um, that doesn't necessarily hit hit my area. Now, mm-hmm. I, when I was in grad school, I did learn about diseases, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that, uh, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to our meat products, we have inspectors, mm-hmm. and who inspect our our every cut out there, every carcass, every primal part, every subprimal. And we rely on them to tell us what's good and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll primarily look at, I mean, the same things that our doctors look at, lymph nodes, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Our lymph nodes should be able to be a certain size. It should be a certain size. They mm-hmm. should look a certain way, have a certain color is what I'm saying. These inspectors do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if there is any kind of question, they will separate that whole carcass and that whole, everything up with that carcass and... Um, confirm that it is safe to eat. So I have a question. I don't know 
um, the circle that you that that you're in as far as like going um, talking to uh, meat plants inspectors etc um, are you um, how are you one of the very few females that you in that in the room uh, and how how is that and how um, how has that been since you are now the expert you know in Ohio um, how is that the, the the gender dynamics well in, of the in industry in my world you know there are probably more women than you think okay. now as far as me being a Hispanic or a Latina then I am the few mm-hmm. I'm you know we may be one or two that I can think off the top of my head so um, yes it is unique at least for Hispanic it is unique, I guess, for any other ethnic group mm-hmm. to be in the meat science arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am seeing more and more Hispanic students or Latino students coming through these meat judging programs, mm-hmm. primarily from Texas, you know, Colorado, where it's more common. But little by little, you know, I'm seeing more and more. But again, I, it goes back to what I said earlier. We're a little behind, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's nice to see them when I am, when we are competing against them, you know, when the Buckeye is coming. And we are roughly about 22 or 23 universities in the United States who do compete in meat science. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to just look at different students. Florida had, I think, about three or four of them this past year. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, you know, just to introduce myself, say hi, and kind of encourage them to keep going. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Females, more common than finding Latinas out there yeah. in my world. Great. <laughs> um, can you share any news uh, about future research uh, or initiatives that you're leading or, or in well, the process? of? Well, right now, um, I'm working on two, two projects. Mm-hmm. One of them deals with cold cows. I, I just have a student, actually, she was out this morning um, collecting samples, you know, in the negative four oh. degree <laughs> weather, poor my poor student. Um, what we're what we're trying to do is trying to see if we can add a value to a coal cow. So a coal cow would be a cow who primarily her her main purpose was to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will get cold. They will be removed from their herd for many reasons. Either they're just too old and they're not able to conceive anymore, or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will come in with this uh, what we what we deem as yellow fat rather than the white fat that we're used to seeing on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, they're being discounted for just the appearance. So what, so what this project is about is to try to find the conversion rate from white to yellow fat versus yellow to white. That could be due to the diet for, with high vitamin A because vitamin A is responsible for that. Or it could be due to genetics. This is what we're, we want to find out. The second piece to this is to figure out if that yellowness we know is beta carotene, okay, we, we want to know if, if, it's, if there's any health benefit to that. Hmm. See, so as a, meat, as a meat extension specialist for the state of Ohio, it's my job to help our producers. And so our producers are losing money with cold cows that hmm. are already old in age at a time of harvest. And just like in humans, as we get older, we tend to bruise easier. Mm-hmm. These animals are no different. So then we have bruising. And then on top of that, if the animal has yellow fat, then that animal is discounted. So our producers are losing money mm-hmm. is, is, is the point. So that's one thing that I'm working on right now, and this will be a two-year study. The second study that I'm working on with an undergraduate student who was on my meat judging team last year <laughs> is utilizing lysozyme as a subtherapeutic alternative to antibiotics. Mm. So 
Um, and, and that's been going, I believe she started that project back in September. And so we're going to find out and see if these lysozymes can serve just as well as antibiotics so that we don't need to use antibiotics anymore mm-hmm. in, our, in our swine herd. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Uh, well, Dr. Garcia, thank you so much for um, being with us today and talking to us about your research, your passion for education, and the work with you that you do with youth. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, another Tejana, <laughs> and learning uh, more about meat science. Um, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook de compartir este pod- y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Mm-hmm.